invite you to turn to Romans chapter 14 as we continue our study of the book of Romans. If you were to have a terrible accident today and your life's blood is draining from your body and there's nothing to do you can do to stop it, you know in just a few moments you're going to die. Do you know that you would go to heaven? Are you sure? Would you actually look forward to seeing Jesus, being in his presence? I hope you know the Lord is your Savior this morning. We'll talk a little bit about that from our text. But let's look at verse 13 and following of Romans chapter 14. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. This morning, I'm going to present to you two kinds of Christians. To my right is the Christian who is very strict in what he believes a Christian should do or should not do. Perhaps they have been brought up to believe a certain way, And so they have a big long list of things that they believe a Christian should not do. Believes, of course, that a Christian should not drink alcohol at all. Believes, of course, that uh, a Christian should not uh, uh, do other things like uh, gamble, uh, even play cards because of its association with gambling. Uh, believes that uh, a whole host of other uh, do's and don'ts are a very important part of their Christian life. 
And I'll give other examples as we get into the message. To my left is a different kind of a Christian. A more liberal-minded Christian. More libertarian in his approach to the Christian faith. This person feels like, uh, you know, as long as it's not specifically spelled out, black and white, in the New Testament, not to do something, that they're free to do it. And in fact, there's a group of churches today that's part of what's called the Acts 29 Network. Many of these are Baptists in upbringing, but in their attempt to be relevant in reaching the culture, they have taken a very liberal, libertarian approach. You realize that some of these churches have Bible studies where Uh, they actually invite the participants to have a beer while they have Bible study. Not only that, but they'll even have uh, some church events right there at the church where people 21 and over are invited to have a beer along with the activity. They will have R-rated movies as part of uh, movie night. Uh, Very liberated in their approach to the Christian faith. Now, when you've got this type of Christian and this type of Christian together, man, sparks can fly because they strongly disagree. This group is condemning this group, judging this group, uh, considering them not even brothers in Christ. And then this group is flaunting their liberty. And as we're going to see can lead to a lot of problems for other Christians with whom they disagree. Well, in the early church, they had a similar kind of a problem in the early church. On the one hand, you had the Jew who had become a Christian, who still very much believed that he should keep the Sabbath, that he should keep the Jewish dietary laws, and a lot of other things were really important part of his Christian belief. On the other hand, there was the Gentile Christian. There was uh, the other uh, type of Christian who was much more liberated in his viewpoint. And he went so far as to even feel like it was okay for him to buy meat at the market, even though it probably had been sacrificed in an idol's temple. To him, it was just meat. Just because it came from an idol's temple meant nothing. He felt free to go ahead and eat it. He felt free, unlike the Jewish Christian, to eat pork, to uh, not worry about Sabbath observances, not worry about special religious uh, days of the year. And they had these vastly different opinions as to what was really important in the Christian life and how each should live their Christian lives. And so this morning I want to share a message about how to get along, how we handle our disagreements, and how we should limit our liberty for the sake of other believers. And so let's look into our text and I want us to examine, uh, again, these two groups of believers more specifically and the responsibilities that each group of believer has 
for the other believers uh, in the Christian community. The first of all, let's address those who are more libertarian, more liberal in their opinion as to what is proper and not proper for a Christian to do. This person understands the New Testament teaching of Christian liberty. And the Bible does teach that we are free in Christ. Paul does affirm in Romans chapter 14 the doctrine of Christian liberty, that you and I as Christians are not bound by someone else's convictions, but rather we are bound by our own understanding of the Word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit, and we are to be bound by our own conscience. And so, uh, because of the doctrine of Christian liberty, uh, we understand a certain truths that are brought out in this text of Scripture. Look at them with me. First of all, we understand that what is really important in the Christian life are not material things, not outward things, but what takes place on the inside. Notice what Paul says in verse 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Paul agrees with those in the early church who said, just because this meat came from an idol's temple doesn't mean that the meat in and of itself is defiled, that there's something uh, condemning, something sinful about the meat. There's nothing unclean in and of itself. And likewise, he says in the middle of verse 20, all things indeed are pure. And so Paul affirms that, hey, just because this meat came from an idol's temple doesn't mean that it's necessarily sinful for you to eat that meat. Just because this meat is from a pig and just because Jewish law says that a Jew under the old covenant was not to eat that, doesn't mean that we Gentiles under the new covenant are bound by that law. This pork is something I'm going to enjoy and I feel free in Christ to eat that pork, to eat that catfish, to eat that shrimp, what all these other things that the Old Testament law did forbid, yet I understand my liberty in Jesus Christ. Furthermore, this strong believer understands what Paul says in verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. You see, look back in Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus made this very clear. Mark 7, verse 15 I can find it with you. Mark 7, beginning in verse 15, Jesus said, There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. Again, just because you eat something doesn't mean that your soul, your spirit, is contaminated by uh, whatever you are eating. That's what Jesus said. 
But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. And then he understands, uh, explains in verse 20, what comes out of a man defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, immorality, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within. These are the things that defile a man. It's not what you eat. It's not some outward ceremony that's really important to God, but what takes place in the heart. What what you really ought to be concerned about are those times you're tempted to lie, those times you're tempted to slander someone, those times you're tempted to hate someone and feel like killing someone, the times you're tempted to commit some immorality. Listen, this is what's really important, not what you eat. And Paul says, I understand that from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that essentially declared that all foods... For believers in the new covenant are clean. And so here's the believer that understands that. And furthermore, he understands verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. What's really important in God's kingdom is what you eat or not eat, what you drink or not drink. But what's really important is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What we really ought to focus on is, first of all, righteousness. Are you right with God? Do you... Have you come to that place in your life where you realize that you have sinned against a holy God, that you are condemned by your sin, and you repent of your sin, and you trust Jesus who died on the cross so you can be forgiven and made right with God? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? If so, you are now right with God. You have righteousness. And not only did you get right with God at a moment of faith and repentance, but we are to live right because God calls you to be born again. He created a a right spirit within you. He gave you the Holy Spirit who empowers you to live right and guides you in righteousness. Folks, this is what's really important. Righteousness. Getting right with God through faith in Jesus and living right. That's what's really important. Not all these outward things some people argue about. And what's really important is do you have peace and do you have joy? Do you have peace with God knowing that things are right between you and God? Do you have the peace of God knowing that you're living right and Your conscience isn't bothering you? Do you have peace in your soul? Do you have the joy of the Lord? 
Listen, when God is doing a work in your life, He produces joy. You're a joyful Christian. Do you, are you majoring on what's really important or are you focusing on outward things that aren't really important? That's the issue that Paul is dealing with here in this text of Scripture. And by the way, notice the order. Righteousness, peace, and joy. You cannot have peace and joy until you have righteousness. It's kind of like the person that has a bad automobile accident. Legs all twisted and broken and they carry them to the emergency room. And they roll them in to see the doctor and they say, Doctor, doctor, all I want from you is some uh, narcotic, something that uh, will, 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 will uh, put me out of my misery as far as the pain and just let me sleep and let me have peace and rest. That's all I want. The doctor says, Don't you want me to fix your broken leg? Don't you want me to correct the cause of your pain? Oh no, I just want to go to sleep and have peace. Folks, that's the way it is today where people are trying to find peace in some illegal drug, peace in some bottle of alcohol, trying to find a little bit of happiness by getting high without dealing with the real problem that you're not saved, you're not right with God. You don't have righteousness yet. Folks, that's what's really important in the Christian life. And so Paul stands with those who understand our liberty in Jesus Christ, that we're not bound by Old Testament law as far as ceremonial law that the Jews were under, that we understand we're not bound by somebody else's personal convictions, but we are responsible before God to grapple with what's right and wrong from God's Word and by the leading of the Holy Spirit. We understand these things. And we should affirm our liberty in Jesus Christ and these principles that I've just shared with you. But, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, not everyone has this knowledge. Not everyone shares your viewpoint. If you are more liberated in your approach to the Christian life, remember, not everybody agrees with you. And some of your liberated ideas may not be right, as we shared last week. And so we need to be considerate of other believers who have a different point of view. Other believers who have grown up in a more strict uh, religious upbringing, who believes that there's a lot of things that are wrong and that you shouldn't do these things as a Christian. They may be right, they may be wrong on the particulars, but that's what they believe. Now, I can only guess how many in my audience fall into that category. But if you tend to be judgmental toward other believers and what they do and don't do, you probably fall into that category. 
Now, what's God's word to you? We, we already shared with you last week that you need to be careful about judging other believers. They don't answer to you. They answer to God. But notice what else Paul says in this text of Scripture. First of all, follow your conscience. And really this applies to every believer. This is a principle that Paul drives home in this text of Scripture that it is your responsibility to follow your conscience. For example, notice what he says in verse 5. The last of verse 5, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Before you do something as a Christian, make sure you're fully convinced that it's all right. If you have doubts whether or not it's appropriate, it's acceptable for you to engage in that behavior, to do that activity, until you're fully convinced that it's okay, it's wrong for you to go ahead and do it. Likewise, he says in verse the last of verse 14, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. If there's a Christian that believes that that meat that came from an idol's temple, that it would be wrong for him to eat that meat, it is wrong for you to eat that meat. Not because there's something wrong with the meat, but because your conscience is telling you, don't eat it. And it is a sin to go against your conscience. He says so in verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Young people, there's a lot of issues that you're going to grapple with because almost everybody in your school, a lot of maybe some of your friends do certain things and yet your parents or your upbringing say you shouldn't do that. And you wonder, is it all right for a Christian to do this? Is it all right for a Christian to, to uh, go see a PG-13 movie or even an R-rated movie? Is it all right for me and my girlfriend? Uh, what, what, what's acceptable? Where, where, where do I draw the line of what's right and what's acceptable in terms of our affection to one another? And we can go on and give other examples. Is it all right to do this or do that? Well, one principle that you must apply is what I just shared with you. If your conscience makes you uneasy, about doing a certain thing, then it is a sin to go against your conscience. God gave you the voice of conscience. And His commandment is to obey your conscience. And it is wrong for you to go against your conscience. Okay, now we set the stage for the understanding that applies to all believers that we must obey our conscience. Now let's put a situation before you. Both kinds of believers in the same church, they tend to mix and mingle and associate. They disagree on what's right or wrong for a Christian, and they're trying to get along. And Paul describes a situation in this text of Scripture of the strong believer understanding his liberty 
feeling like, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with me eating this meat. It's just meat. What you know, just anything physical is not wrong in and of itself. All things are pure. Nothing's unclean of itself. He understands this, and so at some public gathering, he sits down to eat his meat that had come from an idol's temple. And next to him is a Christian who's very scrupulous about any possibility of eating meat coming from an idol's temple. And so he brings to the covered dish supper at church nothing but vegetables. And he sits down next to you with a plate full of vegetables. And you're sitting there with your barbecue, uh, and he's looking over there and, man, that's sure, I mean, I'd love to have some of that. And you know... Uh, Deacon so-and-so feels like it's okay to eat uh, that. And here I am staring at these vegetables. Well, you know what? I think I'm just going to go back over there and get me a few ribs and uh, get, you, get me a, a, a slice of that beef over there. And, and I'm just going to enjoy myself like my brother over here. And so you start eating it. And even while you eat it, your conscience starts bothering you. Ooh, this may have come from an idol's temple. I may be supporting idolatry just by eating this stuff. And, 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 and you, as verse 15 says, you become grieved over the fact that you've sinned against God. You've violated your conscience. And so while this brother over here is freely flaunting his liberty... This other brother, who has just followed your example, is grieved, has committed a sin, has stumbled and fallen, and you, according to verse 15, are not walking in love, but rather you're destroying, for the sake of food, the one for whom Christ died. Let me bring a another example of what we're talking about here. This liberal, free brother says, there's hardly anything in the Bible about gambling and certainly doesn't say anything about lotteries. I'm pretty well off. I can give up a few dollars a week playing the lottery. Um... I'm strong. I'm not going to become addicted by it. And uh, furthermore, it's just a form of entertainment to me. And if somebody has a problem with me playing the lottery, well, that's their problem. And so you go down to your 7-Eleven or wherever, and you buy your lottery tickets, and there you are at the counter scratching away at your lottery ticket. And let's suppose that you're a deacon, you're a Sunday school teacher, and in walks another church member and sees you playing your lottery ticket. And he starts thinking to himself, well, you know, he's a deacon. He's a Sunday school teacher. I guess if they say it's okay, then it must be okay. And so they say, well, I've been wanting to do this anyway. 
I'm kind of hard up for cash. Uh, Here, buys a few lottery tickets. And even while he scratches away, his conscience is bothering him. You dirty dog, you. Your mama told you never to gamble, and here you are gambling. You know, and you just get on a conviction, and your conscience bothers you, and you've just stumbled and fallen into sin because you violated your conscience. And so what has this brother done who has so exercised his liberty in Christ? He's just caused another brother to stumble, another brother to fall. And so Paul says, you're not walking in love when you exercise your liberty and cause someone to follow your example and cause them to fall into sin by violating their conscience. And so that's one bad problem that can result when we only think of ourselves and what we want to do and flaunt our liberty before others and insist upon our liberty before others. But there's something else that can happen, and that is found in verse 16. Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil, even if that other believer doesn't follow your example They, they will do something else. They'll judge you, criticize you, speak evil of you and of your liberty and violate exactly what verse 16 is talking about. The two of you may get into an argument as to whether or not Christians should do that or not. And hard feelings develop. The church becomes divided over these disagreements over what's right or wrong for Christians to do. And so Paul is painting a picture here that even if something is morally acceptable in your mind, even if your conscience says that something is okay for you to do, it doesn't mean you should go ahead and do it you should consider its impact upon other believers. And so we've got this problem of different Christians having different convictions as to what's right and wrong, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. We've got to get along in the church. We don't want to have arguments. We don't want the church divided. We are to pursue the things that make for peace, as verse 19 says, So what's the answer? What's the answer? Until we all come to a common understanding of what's right and wrong for the Christian, what are we to do in the meantime? Well, notice what Paul shows us that we should do from this text of Scripture. Number one, verse 21, abstinence from liberty is often the right thing to do. Paul says in verse 21, It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended. 
and results in judging you and speaking evil against you or is made weak. Paul very clearly says that just because you think something is okay for a Christian to do doesn't mean you should do it. For all the reasons given, instead you should abstain from that activity. And he gives one example. Uh, today we really don't get much into disagreeing over food, especially in Baptist churches. <laughs> now, if you're eating uh, in some public event with another denomination that has different beliefs, you may uh, that may be a relevant issue. But ah, but Paul says, I won't drink wine if it causes my brother to stumble. Again, we've got the Acts 29 churches. We've got the more liberal Christians among us who say, oh, you know, Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus drank wine. The disciples drank wine. Everybody drank wine in that day and time. And and they give all the arguments as to why it's okay for a Christian to have his beer to drink his glass of wine. But, and I'm not even going to take time to argue those points. Instead, I'm going to argue what Paul argues. I will not drink wine if it causes my brother to stumble. It's not that important to me. If Jesus was willing to give up his life to save me, I'm willing to give up a little bit of alcohol for somebody else. Again, if Deacon so-and-so is having his beer, then it must be okay for me. If teacher so-and-so is having his glass of wine, then it must be okay for me. And while you're exercising your liberty... Somebody's going to follow your example and violate their conscience, sin against God, or we're going to start a little church fight over whether or not you should do that or not. Or you're going to cause a weak person to really get into trouble. There are those among us, some watching by television right now, who you've got your alcohol in the refrigerator, you got it in your cabinet, and you've got children at home, and you're saying to your children, it's okay for me, but it's not okay for you. Well, that doesn't fly for young people. What's going to happen is, and by the way, a lot the first drink that most a lot of young people have comes from what they find at home. And then they say, Well, mom and dad do it, so it's okay for me to do it, and they and, and, and they start drinking. But they're young, they're not as mature as you. And oftentimes they they abuse it, they get drunk, 
And a lot of our young people are dying in automobile accidents because we adults insist on our liberty to do what we want to do. And that's not right. It is best to abstain completely lest somebody else stumbles, lest some weak person follows us and and becomes an alcoholic or gets drunk and gets killed. It is a whole lot better to just stay away completely. So the first option, of course, is to abstain from any questionable activity. The other thing is found in verse 22. If you're going to exercise your liberty, make sure it is totally in private. Do you have faith? Are you sure it's okay? Well, if you're sure... Have it to yourself before God. If you're going to exercise your liberty in some questionable area, make sure it's in the privacy of your home. Make sure that no one can be influenced by what you're doing. However, once again... You say, well, I don't drink except in the privacy of my home. But when you walk out of the ABC store with a a brown bag in your hand, that's still not private. People still can stumble and fall over what you're doing. And so Paul says, abstain. If you insist on exercising your liberty, make sure it is absolutely private in what you do. And finally, he says in verse 1 of chapter 15, we who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not please ourselves. Yes, there will always be those who have different views from you, some more strict, some more liberal. But we must be willing to bear with those who have different views and to be patient. Yes, we can express our convictions. We can try to convince. We can show from the Scripture what we believe. But we are not to judge. We are not to um, get irritated. We are not to flaunt our liberty and insist upon our liberty at the expense of someone else. But you know where our society is today. Our society is liberty. Don't tell me what to do. Our society says what's most important is that I am free to do anything I want to do. And so we legalize gambling, we legalize alcohol, we're probably going to legalize pot before too much longer. We legalize homosexual relations, we legalize and even want to put a a firm, some want to say it's okay to marry homosexual relationships. Freedom! Freedom! is the cry 
of our society. Freedom to have an abortion. Freedom to engage in any kind of immorality I want to. But our society has abandoned the biblical teaching that freedom must be exercised responsibly and freedom is trumped by love for others. That's the biblical teaching. And so, when our society wants to liberalize everything, make everything legal, anything goes, let us remind our fellow citizens that God gave us freedom but it is to be exercised responsibly and it is to be exercised within the parameters of love for others. And to be willing to limit our liberty for the sake of others, that is God's word for us this morning. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us guidance as to how to handle the disagreements and the disputes of life how to handle the questionable activities that Christians may disagree about. Lord, help us to grasp this teaching and to be willing to live by it, to abstain from our liberty where that is the best policy, to refrain from criticizing one another, and arguing with one another about such things. But Lord, help us to live and focus on what really matters, righteousness, peace, and joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.